If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to wrap up this chapter today. Just a handful of verses. We'll start in verse 20. And today, uh, this is an account, this is a story uh, that is about glory. Uh, and what is, uh, what is very clear is that God is the one worthy of glory. Um, and humanity, people, we, we will give God glory one way or another. God will be glorified. Uh, you might recall uh, last week's passage, um, uh, just before in 1 through 19, uh, we, we came uh, upon uh, Herod Agrippa. And Herod, he loves, uh, he loves himself some self-exaltation, right? The guy's very full of himself and his prized prisoner was rescued by the hand of the Lord, right? So you might remember at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Herod had James, uh, the apostle, killed the, the Jewish people, loved that. So he's like, okay, I, I want to get some more praise. So he arrests Peter. He was about to go on trial. Uh, it seems very likely that the plan was to execute him. But the night before he was to stand trial, uh, the Lord sent his angel to go and rescue Peter. Now, why was Herod doing this? Well, one factor certainly was to win more favor in the eyes of the Jews. Uh, Herod, uh, he, he very much pandered to whatever group he was with and, and whatever group would give him the praise. So he, he, loved, uh, he loved being exalted in the eyes of the Jewish people, and they, they were excited about this, uh, this group getting squashed. And I, I do think that was the other motivation for Herod was to, to tamp down, to squash this annoying uh, upstart religion that they were now calling Christians who were causing quite a stir in Herod's territory. Um, but that was, that was thwarted by God rescuing Peter from jail. And Herod was livid. And he goes and he questions the guards, right? And, and he doesn't care that an angel of the Lord rescued them. He, he questions them. He's furious. He has those guards killed. And then we come to verse 20, and Herod uh, yet again is angry, although it's a new target this time. So verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. So these two cities, Tyre and Sidon, they're coastal cities, uh, they are port cities, uh, and, and like like all cities, right? They, they, uh, they weren't self-sufficient. They needed to, to trade some of their goods with, with other cities that produced different goods than them uh, to have what they needed to, uh, to live life. So they had some goods to offer, and, and they, were, uh, they, they were dependent on other, other cities to trade with them. So one can imagine if uh, the king gets mad at you and, and uh, that he could make a decision to cut off uh, trading with you, right? So uh, if Herod gets mad, all he has to do is just pick another city to go get the stuff that he wants and, and, and trade the stuff that he has, right? He can choose to give another city his grain or whatever the goods are. Uh, so they needed to be in good standing with Herod. It didn't matter that he... He, he was a jerk, right? That he was selfish, right? Even if he was terrible to deal with, they really had no other choice. Herod had all the power, and he had no problem using his power in whatever ways he wanted. So some representatives are sent from Tyre uh, and Sidon, and they approach Blastus, uh, King 
Herod's Chamberlain. And, and, and before we even get any further, I know that there are seasons, like it's interesting to see like seasons of uh, yeah, baby names, right? And like all of a sudden there's all these, whatever the name is, right? And, and we, we see that too with, with, uh, with kids getting named biblical names, right? All of a sudden there's all these Marys and Marthas running around and, and Johns and, and Pauls and, and Marks. Why have we not had a season of Blastus? Right, this might be the coolest Bible name that there is. Like, I just imagine this kid showing up to the first day of Pee Wee football, and he hits this other little kid, and the coach is like, "Who's that?" That's Blastus. Man. Anyway, you can name your kid Blastus if you like. So Blastus, he was—he's uh, the—he's the Chamberlain, literally meaning the one in charge of the bedchamber. Uh, Blastus has a role that, that is, is, is close uh, to the king. The chamberlain is someone who uh, over time has earned trust to be in a position like this. So representatives from Tyre and Sidon, they're looking for an inn, right? They, they can't just go straight to King Herod. They need someone that, that maybe can get to the ear of King Herod, and that person ends up being Blastus, and through him, they ask for peace. And Luke doesn't give us all the details, uh, but apparently the peace, talked, peace talks worked, uh, and the people of Tyre and Sidon, again, would, would get their food that they desperately needed from the king. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. Right? He, he gives this speech at this, at this, uh, this big festival. Um, there's a Jewish historian that you've, you've probably heard of, maybe you've heard of, uh, named Josephus. Josephus isn't in the Bible, but uh, like I said, he was a Jewish historian. He, he wrote about a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, accounts, a lot of things that happen that, that we also read about in Scripture. And this is one of those. This is what uh, he wrote. And I'm picking up partway through talking about this festival here. He says, um, at which festival a great multitude was gotten together of the principal persons uh, and, as, uh, and such as were of dignity through his province. Uh, on the second day of which he put on, this is Herod, put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a whore over those who looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good. They said that he was a God. And they added, be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. And, and then it goes on to, to describe what, what happened to him. And it does say that, that upon this, the king did, did not rebuke them. He didn't reject their flattery. All right, so uh, this account, uh, it, it lines up well with Luke's account. Now, we, we get different details. And, and just like any event, any, anything that, that, that two different people observe, they're going to notice some different things about that event. But, but these go together well. Well, let's see what Luke wrote in verse 22. He said, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. 
Let's just put ourselves in this, in this situation for a moment. What would you do? Right? What would I do? Now, of course, this isn't going to happen to us, but let's say you're at school or you're at work and you have this big presentation. You don't have a robe made of silver, but you have some clothes that you feel like, yeah, I look I look good in these, right? You put on those clothes, you look in the mirror, and you think, man, that mirror has never been so blessed as it is right now. You go to school or work, wherever this presentation is, you, it's your turn, you get up, and man, you kill it, right? You finish it up, and you hear that first clap soon followed by another clap, and others are clapping, and it just gets louder and louder. People start to rise to their feet after your presentation. You see someone in the front row, and you're pretty sure it's a tear that is forming right there. And then someone shouts, the voice of a God. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but if it did, how would you handle such praise? Back in Acts 10, we saw not the exact same circumstances, but, but worship given to a man. It was Peter. He was sent by God, you might remember, to the Gentiles, specifically to the house of a man named Cornelius. And what we know about Cornelius is that he was a man that feared God. Like, very clearly, uh, his, his theology wasn't solid. Like he, he just didn't know much about God, but he had been praying to God. God heard his prayers. God was responding by sending this man, Peter. He knew that God was sending Peter. So Peter gets into Cornelius' home. And Cornelius falls down at Peter's feet, and he's worshiping Peter. And Peter right away says, man, get up. I, I too, am just a man. Peter was very clear on who is worthy of praise and worship like that. God deserved to worship, not him. Now, this, this whole scenario seems preposterous to us, um, but this happens. This happens even in our culture, though, maybe differently. I can't help but think that at sporting events, at times there's a lot more than just cheering going on. It is its own kind of worship service. Or at concerts, right? Some big-time musician comes through town, and they put on, I mean, just an amazing show. Not, not just the, the music, but, but the theatrics of it. Maybe there's, I don't know, pyrotechnic special effects, and, and there are people at that show not, not just appreciating right, well, the, the good music, but, but truly worshiping the people that created it. I think about our culture and, and how celebrities are treated. There's worship going on there. But, but Christians, we, we do this too. We, we have our own Christian celebrities, right? Maybe a Christian author or teacher or, or a, a songwriter or a pastor that, that we just think the world of. And, and, and we, go, we go beyond where, where we should, and, and we, we can idolize them. We can exalt them. I went to this conference. Matt and I went to this conference several years ago, and there was, I mean, I think it was almost 10,000 people at this conference. Um, and so with, with that many people, you can get some big names in uh, the Christian world to come and speak. And Matt and I didn't know like, what we were walking into. We had no idea how crazy it was going to be. And we're, we're standing there uh, as they're getting ready to open the doors for the first session. And, and suddenly, like, full-grown adults are sprinting 
to the front to see how close they can get. And I'm just blowing right by them like it's nothing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did not run. And if I tried, it was, you know, they would have beat me. Um, but, but I think the first question that we really have to ask here in this passage is, is where is our worship actually misplaced? Right? Where do we ascribe worship to created things rather than the creator? I, I probably have used this illustration before, but I, uh, I really enjoy going to art galleries. I don't do it much. Like, my family's not into that. But when I get a chance, like, I like to walk through an art gallery. And I don't know anything about art, right? Like, I can't look at a piece and discern, like, the, the meaning behind it. I just appreciate, like, how beautiful it is. That's, that's the depth of, of my appreciation. So uh, Lindsay and I went on a trip. Uh, several years ago now to San Diego, and, and we, were, uh, we were in La Jolla, and there was, uh, there was like a, man, it seemed like a whole block of art galleries, and I was, it was just, it was so much fun, because it was it's so different from, from photography to sculptures to digital art to uh, it, paintings. I mean, it was, it was just incredible. But what happens when I look at art every single time, I just, I'm blown away that another person could create this thing, like whatever the medium is. Uh, but I, 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 never, I never just think this piece itself on its own is so amazing. Like I always trace it back to the artist. I'm sure part of it is because I realize I can't do what, what this person did there. I can't do what the creator of the piece did. And it's the same with God, right? We're not to be fooled into worshiping created things. We worship the creator, Right, so, yeah, we can appreciate uh, music. We can appreciate the musician. But even more so, let's be blown away that God has given us music. Or, or we can appreciate the, the wisdom and the insight of this teacher or this author. But, but we don't stop there. We, we trace it all the way back to God. We thank God for, for giving us th this person with this special skill set at this time to bless the church Praise God that, that in his wisdom, he made that person that way. So the second question that, that we need to be asked is, how can we, like, like Herod, be a glory thief? Or, or actually, we should probably ask, how am I, like Herod, a glory thief? And you and I don't know what it's like to be a rock star. We certainly don't know what it's like to be one of the world's finest Athletes and, and having people lining up for our autograph or, or, or shouting praises to us. Our, our stealing glory isn't like what Herod faced from the crowd or even what Peter dealt with in, in Cornelius. But we, all of us, we'd like a little glory, if we're honest. And, and maybe some of us, if we're really honest, we'd, we'd like a whole lot of glory. We want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be important. Uh, we, we want to impress. Uh, we want to be looked up to. We want to be seen as an expert in our field, or we want to we be known as, as, as really wise, or and whatever it is. And on the surface, there's not necessarily anything wrong with those things, but, but our heart, it, it's so deceitful. Right? We'd never say we want glory, but man, if it came our way, we sure wouldn't mind it. 
Um, before the uh, housing bubble burst in, uh, I think it was 08, uh, I was a full-time realtor to pay for seminary. So I worked for this small real estate firm, uh, family-owned, and I had a connection with the family. They were great to me. And when I got in, I mean, business was just popping. Um, we were selling houses like crazy. And even though our agency was just like this, this small mom-and-pop uh, shop, um, uh, our owners spent a lot of money on advertising, right? So we didn't really have to work hard to get clients. We just had to work hard to, to sell homes for the clients that he got for us. He did a ton of radio ads um, and, and he even did some billboard ads. Uh, and, and in Portland, there's, there's more billboards than, than we have over here. And especially on the east side of Vancouver, like, we just don't have billboards. But you get to the west side or up like Salmon Creek, there's, there's more billboards. Well, anyway, one day uh, we, we had an all-agent uh, meeting and, and he let us know that, that he wanted to get headshots of all of us. We we're going to do this this photo shoot thing, um, and, and the, uh, the photographer's claim to fame was that she once took pictures of Morgan Freeman. Uh, and, and it's so stupid that, like, internally, I'm like, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, if she can take a picture of Morgan Freeman, she can take a picture of me. That's cool. So, so we go, and we do this whole photo shoot thing, and they use makeup on you and all that, and, and, then, and then they Photoshop you later to make you look even better. Um, but, but we had this, and then, and then after we got those pictures for our own advertising, uh, we had another meeting. He's like, hey, we, uh, we want, those, those pictures turn out great. We're, we're going to put your faces on our billboards, and we're, we're just going to blast our, our area with that. It stroked the ego, I'll tell you. Um, so I was working on this side of the river, and again, there's not many billboards over here, uh, but, but my billboard uh, was, was on the corner of St. John's and uh, 78th, like kind of past Krispy Kreme, right? I didn't even know it was there. Another agent like called me. He's like, hey, I found your billboard, and I may or may not have driven over there that afternoon. <laughs> So this, this, this billboard has this giant picture of me, right? And they, they probably didn't have to do much Photoshop on me, but a little bit. <laughs> they, they didn't get rid of my gap, though, in my smile. So it was very authentic. Um, anyway, it, the plan was it'd be up there for a month or two. And, and then just a couple weeks before that was ending, our, our brokerage sent out a message saying that any agent that wanted to continue to have their billboards up the, uh, the brokerage was going to pay 50% of the cost, and we could pay. We could pay the other half. It was sneaky. It was very sneaky because uh, every agent that I talked to loved having their billboard up, right? It, it did. It stroked your, uh, your ego a bit. Um, and, and again, I joke about Photoshop, but they made us look good up there, better than I do. Um, they definitely slimmed me down a little bit. Yeah, but it was a brilliant idea for the company to get advertising out there and yet save cost uh, because we were enticed, right? We were enticed to fork over that 50%. And, and a ton of agents did it. Um, and, and like I said, it was fun. It was fun having people call me up and say, Greg, are you a realtor? Because that sign says you are. Um, I opted not to do it, not because I'm not vain. <laughs> uh, I opted not to do it because I didn't actually see like me get a client from it, so it, it didn't make me money. So I was pretty logical about it. Um, I mean, you know what it's like, right? We have, we have social media now, right? You remember that first time you posted something and, and someone liked it? Like maybe you didn't even know that was a thing yet. You were so new to social media. Somebody liked it and, and, and it felt good inside. Like so much so that you went back like 
an hour or two later to see if anyone else liked it. And then uh, not too long after, you find yourself like, like kind of consumed in, in trying to craft this, this post or, or, or take the perfect picture that will get you all of these likes. And, and you, you find that your heart is either delighted when you get all these likes or more likes than you even thought or so disappointed when you didn't get the number of likes that, that you thought. Man, social media knows us. Right? It, knows, it knows how, how much how much glory we really do want. Herod would have been all over social media. He would have loved it to have a a post go viral. And the crowd went wild over him and and his his great robe and his moving speech, right? They called him a God. And we see Luke's account lines up with with Josephus here in, in verse 23. It says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And there's irony we miss here since I split the two passages last week and, and this week. Um, this word for struck by the angel here, it's the same word that was used last week as Peter is laying in prison, chained to the guards, and an angel strikes him on the side to wake him up. And we are to see a contrast here between Peter and Herod, right? Peter is in this state of, of just total helplessness, right? He, he's, he's weak. He, he can't do anything to save himself, and yet he's rescued by an angel of the Lord. And then we have Herod, right, in a moment of, of, of great strength and, and splendor and majesty and power, and yet he's struck down by the Lord. This angel sent to save the life of Peter, this devoted Christ follower, and here an angel takes the life of Herod, the enemy of the church and the glory thief. And who knows, maybe this is even the same angel. We have no idea. But we'll see this, you'll see this theme in Scripture if you start looking for it, that God will receive glory from everyone, either through salvation or through judgment. And again, I think there's, there's some irony here. Right, Herod, who's so much about his glory, and we look at this final detail that Luke gives us about Herod, he's eaten by worms. And, and we might think, uh, we might be tempted to go, yeah, you got what you had coming your way, right? He was a murderer, he killed James, he killed those guards. We, we, don't, we don't know the details of all the other people we, that he killed, but historians are pretty clear that, man, he murdered a lot of people. But you know what? When I die and I'm buried, the worms are going to find my body too. I Googled it. I'm like, yep, that, that actually does happen, right? That will happen no matter how tight you get that coffin, right? We, we, we can live this life, and it, it doesn't matter what kind of job we have. It doesn't matter how much stuff we accumulate. It doesn't matter how many people like us or how many followers we have. It doesn't matter how high we climb up the corporate ladder, all of us face the end of our life here. It doesn't matter the the cool toys you have, the awesome car you have, how great your house is, each person's life ends. And I'm sorry about that visual with the worms, but, but, but that's the same, right? The same will happen to us as happened to this great king. And we are so easily and so quickly tempted to value things in this life that really aren't nearly as valuable as we think they are. What is valuable is glorifying God. Right, so that everyone can know how great he is. You might re- remember this from Isaiah 42, 8. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. There's truly no one like God. So w- what do we do? 
And what do we do with this? Well, I think first we have to check our hearts. I think we, it'd be good for us to, to pray that psalm, search me, oh God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, right? Because this is a heart issue. Like everything else we wrestle with in life, it comes down to our hearts and our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are manipulative. Our hearts are, are, are so good at twisting what should point to God and make it about us. What drives you? What drives you just in everything that you do in life? What drives you in, in, in your dreams for the next 5, 10, 15 years? I was preparing for a meeting earlier this month, and, and that's good to prepare for a meeting. I'd say that's probably best practice to be ready to go in to a meeting. But as I was preparing, I realized what was driving me in that moment was I wanted to impress these people that I was meeting with. Right? What, what drove me wasn't, man, how do I point these people to Jesus? Right? I wasn't driven by asking God, what do you want for this time, God? As, as we get to meet together, what do you have for us? And what drove me is I, I wanted these people to think something of me, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was so embarrassed. Man, what, what motivates you to do all the things that you do? In Acts chapter 5, you remember Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted people to think that they were godly, that they were these generous, giving people, right? So they, they had this property that they sold, and at first they, they were just going to give it all to the church, right, which they could have done. Uh, but they also could have kept back as much as they wanted to. No one told them that they had to do this, but, but they said, or they decided together that they were going to to pretend that they gave everything and yet still hold back some for themselves. They, they wanted to look godly. And this is an easy trap for churchgoers. Right? We respect people that we see in church. We, we admire some of them. We, we look up to them because of how they live their lives, how they love people, how they love the Lord. And, and um, that tempts us at times to try to be better than we are. Right, so maybe you've found yourself in a time of prayer with some other people, and, and, and you're trying to craft a, a really good prayer. And, and there's nothing wrong with crafting a, a good prayer for God, but, but it's, an art, it's a heart issue, right? When, when, I'm, when I'm trying to figure out not, not the best words to pray to Yahweh, but, but I'm actually praying so this other person can hear me, and maybe I'll get a little like amen out of them as I pray. Man, our hearts are twisted. So what, what drives you? What's behind the goals that you have? Because in different ways, we all hunger for glory, and we would never call it that. Right? And none of us will be thrown into a situation like Herod found himself in. What do we do then with, with encouragement? Because we're, we're commanded as a body of Christ to encourage one another, and yet, yet we don't want to feed uh, glory thieves, right? We don't, we don't want to... Uh, we don't want to place glory in, in, in wrong places. Well, I think that, that we need to make sure that even our encouragement just points to God. Right? So I could say to Matt, like he was working on a, on a harmony uh, that, that, uh, that they did in that song earlier. And I could say to Matt, man, you sang it so well today. I love that God has gifted you to bless our body in that way. 
right? Or, or, or someone could go up to someone later and say, oh, man, thanks for sharing what you shared in Bible study or in church or, or wherever it was. Thank you for doing that. I think, I think God was providing through you what I just needed to hear today. And the flip side is how do we handle it when we get encouraged? Right? I don't think any of us would... If someone said, hey, you did a great job today, none of us would go, yeah, I really killed it today. <laughs> like, man, some days I'm just on, right? We're, we're not going to do that, but we might be tempted to go so far the other direction and say, no, I, I really didn't do that well. I don't even know why they asked me to do that because we have people in our church that would be so much better at that. But, but, but that ends up stealing glory in a different way. Right, because naturally that person that's trying to encourage you is going to double down. They're going to say, "No, no, seriously, like you did a great job." It was, and and we're 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 trying maybe to be humble, and yet what we're doing is getting even more attention on us. Instead, let's be thankful. Let's find a way to point to Christ. Right, and and maybe maybe no one will be able to tell from your words, but it's just this this heart issue. But I'd argue there's there's nothing more valuable than God's glory, and we we are all. We have this hard wiring to, to want it for ourselves. In Ezekiel 28, we won't turn there, but there's this lament over the king of Tyre. And what's interesting is it, it flashes back to the Garden of Eden and, and draws this comparison to Adam. It talks about, uh, about Adam being blameless, right, until unrighteousness was found in him. God tells him it was an issue of the heart. He says he was proud because of his beauty. God tells him you, you, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Man, stealing glory is as old as the garden. It's as old as our parents, Adam and Eve. And it's written in each one of us. We want to be the God of our own life. We want to rule. We want to sit on the throne. We want to call the shots. And we may not think that we want worshipers, but we also might not turn it down if it happened. I contrasted Peter and Herod earlier, but let's, let's end with contrasting Jesus and Herod. Herod was, was compared to deity. He's he called deity, and he wouldn't let it go. Jesus Right, the, the, the God man, fully God, fully man, and yet Paul tells us that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Herod decks himself out in this silver robe before the crowds. Jesus comes into this world born of a virgin, comes into this world naked, helpless, born to a poor couple wrapped up and placed in a manger. The robes that he wore before his crucifixion were meant to mock his kingship, and then they were stripped off of him to further humiliate him on the cross. Herod accepted the praise of people and, and died and was eaten by worms. Jesus took the mocking, took the false accusations. He died and on the third day rose again. Jesus will be glorified. And the gospel, even to those of us who've been in church for years and years and years, still, as we grapple with the gospel, we see how upside down it is from our thinking, that, that Jesus was exalted by being lifted up on the cross, right? That, that he, he was glorified by laying down his life for us, and he will receive more and more glory. And Luke reminds us of that even in this passage, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Right? God is not going to be stopped. He will get glory, rightly so. I think of John the Baptist 
He said, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And how will God be glorified in your life? How, how are you, even today, maybe in tiny, tiny ways, trying to steal glory from God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And our passage today ends with this, Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And, and now we're gonna follow Paul in Acts here. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the only one uh, that, that, that shows us the glory of God. And Lord, we, we confess to you that there, there are ways I'm sure that we're already aware that we try to take glory from you, and there's probably a bunch of ways that we're not even aware of that we're doing this. God, I thank you that in your grace, you are growing your people, that, that you, you convict us of our sin. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would convict us. We ask that, we, in, we invite that, that you would show us Man, where we are not living for you, where we are glory thieves, God, would you make us people that are hungry to see you glorified in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.